Well, good evening, guys. Um, for those who don't know, um, my name is Joshua, uh, and I've had the opportunity to be at Christ Community with my wife, Luba, for the last year or so. Uh, we've been a part of um, the church for a little over, yeah, a little over a year since August 2015. And when Ben asked me to share my testimony, you know, I, I'm I'm always prone to think of the word testify, um, which I looked up to give a testimony, which means to give sincere evidence. And that obviously begs the question of what? Um, and then I immediately thought of a verse that often would come to my mind, as well as my roommate in college. His name is also Joshua. He went to Penn State with me. And um, it was in Acts 20, verses, uh, verse 24. And this is Paul speaking to Ephesian elders. And he says, But I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so, in reality, a testimony isn't just, you know, a moment that the person is saved. A moment a person goes from unborn to reborn, and it's at any time we give evidence of God's grace in our life, past or present. But obviously for the purpose of this, I'm going to go kind of from an overview of past to present. And when I think about my time in life, I think about it in chunks based upon where I was in school. So I tend to think like lump preschool, and I tend to think of elementary school together, then I think of middle school and high school, and then I think of college life. I'm not sure how old, uh, old adults think of that, because I guess once I get past that point, I have to start thinking in maybe larger chunks. But... Um, you know, when I grew up, uh, I grew up in a home where Jesus was taught. Um, a Christian home, you might call it. Um, my parents took my older brother and I to church. And, uh, first, My first church was in Allentown where we heard the gospel. We were given quarters every Sunday to put in the children's offering. We went to vacation Bible school. We listened to Christian music on cassette tapes when we took long drives on vacations. We prayed before every meal. My mom would read scripture and pray before I went to bed. Uh, I even gave tracts to classmates in my elementary school um, to share the gospel, and I, I just told them not to tell anybody because I didn't want to get in trouble. Um, and I remember very explicitly it had one way on it, you know, obviously, that being Christ. Um, I even have a recording of a VHS tape of me giving a teaching on John 3.16 when I was around six or seven. It was just right in front of that humongous monster of a recording device and my dad hit play and left the room and I remember I shared about how my father gave me a Buzz Lightyear as a gift. I got that from my father and I compared it to Christ being given to me. Talked about sin. I talked about hell. (laughs) I watched this when I was (laughs) out of college and I was like, how did that happen? But I truly believe that God saved me at a young age. And praise God for His grace. You know, there was visible fruit of repentance, and I wanted to know other, I wanted other people to know about Jesus. It it was, it was there. Um, but, when middle school and high school hit, although I know that I wasn't unsaved out of nowhere, there was a significant amount of struggle, uh, to hold to that childlike faith that I had. And there was a lot of resistance to sharing the gospel, you know, so I still went to church every Sunday. I still read my Bible. Um, I prayed before meals and sometimes before bed. However, my flesh, flesh, desperately wanted to be like the world and feel its pleasures. This was essentially the secret of my middle school and high school time. I was convinced, truly, honestly, I thought this, that if I could be a Christian, I could still manage to conform to the world's norms. 
So I listened to what the world listened to in music. I, I watched what the world watched in television, video games, and entertainment. I felt what the world felt in the lust of my heart interacting with young ladies and even at church. My dad was a youth pastor, a youth leader, and that didn't stop me. My heart in lust searching for ungodly content on internet for hours. And while I said to myself, well, at least I'm not as bad as fill-in-the-blank person. See, my older brother was a classic Luke 15 prodigal son, the one who was overtly a rebel. So this is what I would say to myself. My brother was angry and disrespectful, and I'm mild-mannered. My brother was vain and buying clothes to match everything, and I was modest. You know, I had black and white shoes. My brother was in 20 relationships, and I was only in a few. My brother lied straight to my parents' face, and I just omitted information. And that's how I judged my stand before God at times. I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. And even though my spirit was screaming, I would still indulge in this private rebellion. And the primary struggle that, I could, that consumed my entire middle school and high school time really was lust. And over time, this resulted in so much guilt, so much shame. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I made so many promises to God on my knees, saying, God, I won't do it again. And I thought that even taking a shower was actually a means of feeling clean in some way, physically cleaning myself, and this was far from the truth. I was the classic covert rebel, a person who covered his flaws, and get this, this is how I covered them. I covered them with compliments from Christians and non-Christians. I covered them with everything. Hey, you're doing great. You're wonderful. Oh, man. Your parents are so blessed to have you as a child. And then college came. And for those of you who don't know, as uh, Mr. Ross had alluded, I am uh, from Penn State uh, and uh, at University Park, and it began my freshman year in fall 2010 with the intent of pursuing a education degree. And while I didn't engage in the party scene, I kept myself distanced. I wasn't consuming alcohol. I wasn't smoking in the dorm. I wasn't trying to pick up cute girls around campus. But you know what I was still doing? I was still sinning against the God of the universe. I thought that by physically distancing myself from disobedience meant that I was spiritually close with God. That if I could just distance myself from what people saw, then I was close with God, but my heart was the problem. I was still a covert rebel who felt the conviction of the spirit at work, but the guilt of Satan telling me that I was a screw-up. And I felt trapped at points, and I hated myself at points. Literally would say I hate myself for everything that I was being accused of. And flash forward a couple months, about October of 2010, I got connected with this on-campus Christian ministry known as Disciple Makers Christian Fellowship, and I was later invited to a lunch, and that was like a thing in college, like you get invited to lunch, like, or coffee, I don't drink coffee, but they invite you to coffee, so I was like, sure, let's do this, and it was kind of weird, because I was like, why, do we, why am I meeting up with this dude? And, um, and his name was Andy Zimbala, one of my best friends now, didn't know him at the time, but uh, by the Spirit's power and need for relief, I confessed my sin for one of the first times to that guy. And he presented me with uh, 1 John 1.9. And if you have, if you do not know 1 John 1, I just encourage you to just absorb it for your life. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this scripture broke me. I cried like a baby. Why? Why did I? (laughs) 
Because for the first time, one of the first times, uh, I realized that I could come out of hiding. And more importantly, that I had nothing to fear because God had cleansed me. God the Father, through Christ, loves me dearly. Jesus took my guilt, my shame, my condemnation, my sin, my doubt, my fear. He nailed it to the cross. And through sound teaching, discipleship, prayer, and studying God's word, I left college with a better understanding of the gospel that it's all about Jesus. It's not about doing right or wrong. It's, it's about believing what's already done. And so I'll just conclude with this. This is really a life verse as well, stemming off of First John 1.9. is Romans 1.16, for I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And I can tell you guys, teens, parents, but specifically teens because you guys are here, in all my 24 years of life, that's not that long, I have never felt more convinced of God's steadfast love for me. And because of that fact, I have never been so passionately joyful for Christ. I have never been more desirous to share his gospel with the unsaved. I have never been more joyful to serve the body of Christ, such as in Crossfire. And do I still struggle with sin, as, as I did as a teenager? Of course. Absolutely. I, I still struggle day in and day out. But when I remember the gospel and its power, I see Jesus. I see done. And he's my advocate and my defender who has become sin so that I might be righteous. And so I realized that while I can say that it's all about doing when I was younger, it's, it's never been about that. And so my encouragement to you teens is simply this, out of my own testimony, testifying to the grace of God through Jesus Christ, is that Jesus is so much better than anything you could ever enjoy in this life. Dating, entertainment, marriage, video games, getting two college degrees, getting your job, getting your money, nothing's better. So I just encourage you to avoid any process of like elimination, figuring out like kind of multiple choice answers, like, oh, well, that one's not that great, that one's not that great. Well, I guess Jesus is the, the remainder. That's Avoid that. Avoid exploring that which will not satisfy and run to Jesus, and he will give you rest every day. It's a promise. So thank you so much for allowing me to explain that. Praise God. Let's pray. And we're going we're gonna to pray. We're all going to pray. I'm going to pray for all of us. But I'm going to begin by praying for you if you can relate to that hidden sin that Joshua was talking about. And as I pray, I would encourage you to pray. Lord, we thank you for this testimony of your grace. Thank you for saving Joshua, Lord, and saving him at a young age. But we also thank you, Lord, as time went on for your loving grace to call him out from his dark corners, Lord. Those places of of believing that other things would satisfy more than you. And then that temptation, Lord, once that sin was committed to feel trapped. 
to believe the lie that you're not loving, to, to believe the lie that we have to, to get out of that mess ourselves, to get, to, to believe the lie that there's only condemnation if I share with my parents what I'm doing. Lord, thank you for freeing him from those lies. And we pray tonight for anyone who is right now in a similar place. Lord, we pray for anybody in this room, any teen, any parent in this room, Lord, and they feel trapped. They are dabbling in areas of sin they know are not good, and yet they're fearful to come to you, they're fearful to come to their pastors, they're fearful to come to their parents because they don't know how you will respond, how we will respond. And Lord, I pray as Joshua gave that reminder of 1 John 1, nine, most importantly, that they would see what your word says about walking in the light. Oh Lord, don't let anyone believe the lie of Satan tonight that if, if we confess our sins, you won't forgive us, that you won't cleanse us, Lord. Don't, don't allow any of us to believe the lie that somehow being in the darkness is better than being in the light, Lord. Lord, I pray for grace. I pray for the Spirit to flood Anyone who's in that place right now, to, to flood them and them to see your love. That, that your love would be what would draw them out. That your love, your promises, your goodness would be the thing that allowed them to say to their parents on the ride home, Mom, there's something I need to talk to you about. Dad, there's something I need to talk to you about. And we pray, Lord, that you would cover them and, and pour into them fresh reminders of your love and your grace. That we as parents, if our teens share that with us tonight or tomorrow or this week, Lord, would meet them with the Gospel. Lord, I pray if any teen wonders about how you would respond to sin, they would look no further than Christ. You loved us so much, You sent Your own Son to die. On the cross, Lord, thank You for that. May we never, ever wonder what You think of us. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would freshly come to You and receive that love, receive that grace to walk in the light. Lord, we pray for this. We pray for our evening. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up to, to Psalm chapter 5. We're going to bounce a little bit tonight, but we're going to read Psalm 5 to begin with. And tonight, if you have your notebooks, our topic is the pursuit of lasting joy. The pursuit of lasting joy. Now, I need a, a, a volunteer here at the beginning. Teen volunteer. Who wants to volunteer? Ashlyn, come on up here. Now, Ashlyn, this is... My grandfather was a train conductor. And this was a lamp that he had uh, kind of in the cabin of the, the locomotive. And so this thing is probably older than the both of us combined. Which doesn't say much, much for Ashlyn, but says a lot about me, right? 
Uh, and so I want you to hold this for tonight. So I want, you to, I want you to be careful, right? I've had this for a long time. It's up on my shelf at the church house. I, I just love thinking about my grandfather, and, and, um, and I love thinking about him as a, a railway, as a locomotive, as an engineer. So I want you to, I want you to take this. This is really old. Okay, so it's really valuable. I want you to have it, ready? Are you ready? I'm going to walk back over to your seat. You got it? Okay. All right. Good job. All right. Now, what I just did, now, you can put it down really safely now. Yeah. Surely hold it the whole rest of the time, right? So, I'm so fearful, right? I, I do that. I show you that imagery because the word for this year is entrust. That's what we're calling this year, entrust. And the reason for that is because the Bible tells us that as Christians, we're called to entrust the gospel to others. We're called to entrust the truth of God to others. To, to entrust something to someone is to, to commit to give to them something for their safekeeping. I just gave to Ashlyn that lamp for her safekeeping tonight. And so I, I entrusted it to her. I had it. I gave it to her. Your parents and your pastors want to give you the treasure of the gospel. We want to entrust the gospel to you. We want to entrust the word of God to you. And, and what's important when it comes to entrusting something to someone is that it was a two-way street. It is a two-way street. That was, with Ashlyn, a two-way street. On one hand, if I have something valuable, but I don't give it to her, she will not benefit. Right? If I have something, and I'm not, in, I'm not giving it to her, she can't be blessed by it. If, if Mrs. Ross makes dinner, but doesn't give it to any of us in the family, she made it, but no one's going to benefit from it unless she puts it out for consumption. She puts it on our, on our plates or she puts it on the table. And so, so we who have it are called to give it. And again, two-way street, you need to receive it. I, I could talk about how, you know, uh, valuable that lamp was to me and how old it was. But if Ashton like takes it around, she's like whipping it around up in the air and she walks back to the, the chair, we're in trouble. Right? Or if she just kind of like, as soon as it hits her hand, she just, it drops to the ground, we've got a problem. I had to make sure that I gave it to her and I was being careful in the entrusting, but that she needs to be careful of, okay, I've got it. I've got it. I want to protect it. I want to hold on to it. And that that's that's us when it comes to the gospel. That's us when it comes to the Word of God. I want to entrust the gospel to you. Your parents want to entrust the gospel to you. We're not going to be flipping about it. We're not going to say at one time and say, okay, I told my kid the gospel. Remember, remember when I was six years, you know, you were six years old, Joshua? I told you the gospel then. Right? Joshua's dad shared the gospel with him at four and five and six and seven and eight and nine because we want to make sure that we're being faithful to give you the gospel. We don't want to be flippant in giving it to you because we don't have anything more valuable as parents. Your, your parents could give you a full ride to college. It wouldn't be as valuable as them giving you the gospel. They could buy a new car when you turn 16. Not as valuable as the gospel. They could give you a massive inheritance when they died. Not as valuable as the gospel. The gospel is infinitely more valuable than the greatest earthly inheritance. But you must see it as valuable. Your parents can plead with you. This is valuable. You might be saying, yeah, right, give me the car. Or give me the inheritance. You have to believe by the grace of God that the gospel is more valuable than those things. To go and leave us one day, leaving your homes, leaving your families, going on to whatever is next for you, 
If you don't believe that you going with the gospel and going with the word of God is more valuable than anything, you'll hold it flippantly. And so we use that word in trust as both a two-way street that we as parents and pastors want to be faithful to give you the word and to give you the gospel. And our prayer is that you would see it as valuable. That you would see there is no greater truth, there's no greater thing than relationship with Christ. So that's kind of our theme for the year. And tonight we're going to talk about joy. Joy. And I want to talk about joy because it's something that can elude teenagers. I think I had a lot of happy moments as a teenager. I can't say I had many joyful moments as a teenager. I had many moments where I would laugh with friends and we'd watch a movie or, you know, do kind of silly, dumb, illegal, unsafe things, right? I don't know if I could say that was joy. Joy is a is contentment. Joy is, there's depth to it. it. It's greater than happiness. Joy goes deep. It runs deep. You can have joy in the midst of physical pain. You can have joy in the midst of spiritual trials. You can have joy in the midst of hard seasons. So what I want to talk to you tonight about joy. So let's read. I'm going to read Psalm 5, and I want you to flip with me to Psalm 16. And then we'll jump in. Psalm 5, verse 11. Psalm 5, verse 11. Listen to this verse on joy. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Jump with me. Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, verse 11. You, God, make known to me. Look at, look at the intimacy of God here. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Alright, let's talk about joy. Raise your hand if you have seen the, the Pixar movie Inside Out. Who has seen Inside Out? Okay, vast majority of us. I love Inside Out. I sound, I always sound like a loving father to my children when it's movie night and we're throwing out suggestions and I say we should watch Inside Out. I look like I'm being the sacrificial father. Oh, Dad, the way you consider others, you are a, a, a model of Philippians too. I want to watch Inside Out. Let's be honest. I want to watch it. And so I, I just, I love it because I, it just, it's funny. Anger's always making me laugh. Like the entire time I just think about anger and for some reason it makes me laugh. If you haven't seen it, which just looks like the majority of us have, but if you haven't seen it, the main character is a girl named Riley. And we get kind of a, a peek behind the curtain of what makes her tick by being introduced to five main emotions of her, right? We got joy, anger, sadness, fear, and disgust. And they all play a role in her life based on the given circumstances she faces. Each day, they take turns working that control panel, right? Remember that control panel? It grows as Riley grows. And so they all have turns on that control panel that, that cause her to feel different emotions that each of them represent. 
They, they all want to exert their influence, right? The, they're all kind of trying to get themselves into the, the, the control of that panel. But they all know. They all know that things go best when joy is in control of it. It, it, things go best when joy is kind of the captain of that ship and and the other ones play a small part along the way. The, the great problem of the movie occurs when joy is unable to be in charge of the control panel. She gets like sucked up into the vacuum, remember that? And she gets like shot out across into this whole other part of of the of Riley's existence and and now disgust and anger and fear are in charge of the control panel and everything goes haywire. Now, Inside Out's not a Christian movie, but it does a great job highlighting two biblical truths. One, our outward reactions, although influenced by circumstances, ultimately come from the overflow of our hearts and emotions. There are things that are kind of pressing on her that make her feel things, but the reason she feels is because anger is nailing that button over and over again, right? They're that It's coming out of her. And secondly... That, that movie highlights that we've been created to desire joy in our lives. And that we are constantly making decisions in our life in an attempt to find joy. So she desires joy. Riley desires joy. Uh, don't want to give the whole movie away, but she moves and is sad that she moves and is willing to leave her parents. She's willing to get on a bus and travel back to where she's from because she believes in doing so there will be joy. So point number one, we all desire joy and pursue joy. Point number one, we all desire joy and pursue joy. No matter our age, our backgrounds, our personalities, we've all been created to desire joy. And that desire for joy leads us to action because we know it's not found in us. We desire joy. We desire peace, contentment. We we desire to be fulfilled, and we know it's not in us. We know that we are not able to be self-sufficient. We know we're not able to be content on our own. I mean, just... Ezekiel and Psalms, the Old Testament speaks about longing, speaks about desire, speaks about this, this, the, the need for, for joy, for contentment. And so we have that desire and we do what we do to try to find it. So think about that. Why, why do you go to your favorite restaurant? Why do you have certain uh, places that you love to order online or call up and have them deliver you food because of how that food tastes. I'm willing to pay significant amounts of money for food that then is no longer with me, right? Like I pay the money and now it's it was out and now it's in, right? And I'll never see it again. I'll pay that. I'll pay that for good wings, right? I'll pay that for a good cheesesteak. Why? Because there's joy in food. Why as a teenager do you want to turn certain ages? You know, some of you, when you think about 16, oh, to be 16, to be 18, to be 21, there's, there's a sense that I can't wait to be these certain ages. Why? Because there's a joy that comes from certain privileges, like being able to drive or maybe stay up later or stay out longer with friends. Whether you have a little bit of money or a lot of money, do we not spend our money on what we will, be, what will bring us joy? I mean, even like paying bills, right? Like, I never get a bill. I'm like, yeah, bills! Let's pay them! But you know what I do, right? Why do I pay them? 
because of the joy of the repo man not coming and taking my stuff away, right? I pay my bills, so they let the joy of letting me stay in my house. That's an example of how we even do things we don't like for our joy. Think about math. Now, I know some of you like math. I'm not, I'm not putting down math. I've got a child that loves math, and so it's, you know, praise God for math. But there are some of us that don't love math, right? There's some of us that, you know, will be excited when the years of doing math are over. Why do you do math? Many of you, hopefully most of all of you, did math this week. Why do you do math even though you don't like math? I, I think it's probably a short-term and a long-term answer, right? Short-term so that you can be done with doing math, right? There's the joy of, I'm done. I can, you know, I can move on to other things that I like. Long term, so I can graduate high school, graduate college, have more freedom to choose a vocation that, that I find greater joy in. So my point there is that we pursue joy either in doing things we like or doing things we don't like that we might then have freedom to do what we want. I would go so far as to say everything we do is an attempt to, in some way, find joy. Point number two, desiring joy and seeking joy is not ungodly. Desiring joy and seeking joy is not ungodly. Last month, I talked about questions. Teens, it's not wrong to have questions about yourself, about this world, about God. The issue is is where do you go with your questions? Do I think that I'm the authority? Or do I submit myself to God's authority? In the same way, it's not wrong to desire joy, contentment, peace. The question is where do you go for that? You're not self-sufficient. God is. God is self-sufficient. God has never needed anyone. There was a song uh, that I, I didn't hear but was talked about recently where it talks about how heaven was in need of you and so heaven came to earth so that you could kind of fulfill it. No, that's not quite biblical. God didn't need you. God was self-sufficient. God is self-sufficient. Within the Trinity, God has always had everything He needed. God didn't create you because He was lonely. God didn't create you because He was lonely. He has enjoyed relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit for all eternity. God created us not because He was lonely, but rather that we might share in His joy. God created you not so that God wouldn't be lonely, but so that you could share in His joy, that you could share in His glory. What's so interesting is that the first sin was about, in part, joy. Flip over to Genesis 3. I want to show this in the Scriptures. Look at Genesis 3. So God creates the world, and it was good. It was perfect. Places Adam and Eve in the garden. For His glory, that they might enjoy it and Him. I can imagine the smile God had as He shared with them that they could eat from any tree except that one in the middle. And there was joy even in saying to them, I don't want to eat that one in the middle. 
Because there's joy in obedience. It's sin that tells us that obedience is a, is a drudgery and a, and a duty and not a delight. And so God creates this and says, I want you to enjoy all of this and I want you to enjoy my relationship with me by not eating from that tree. So, there's joy in our relationship with God before the fall. But look what happens. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Which one? He didn't say that. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruits of the tree in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what's happening here? What is the, is the basis of the serpent's lie to Adam and Eve? God isn't good. God is withholding joy. Your life would be better if you disobeyed God. Your life would be better if you ate from that tree. God, joy in God, really? No, 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 no. He's withholding joy. He's withholding goodness to you. And sadly, Adam and Eve believed him. And they ate that fruit, and it was not good. Relationship with God broken. The world falls into sin. Adam was our representative, and his action affected all of those who would follow in his line. Humanity from that point was born in sin. We're still humans. We're still made in the image of God. We're still wired to desire joy. But now the insanity of sin that lies within each of us tells us we could never find our joy in the one who created it. So when you're created and you're in the garden and Adam and Eve, it's just, it's just of course my greatest joy is God. He's God. Yes, his creation's good, but but true joy is found in Him. And sin, you think about what the serpent does. The serpent says the exact opposite of what God says. And, and that's what sin does. Sin turns everything on its head. And so the truth is that joy is ultimately found in God. Sin says that's the last place you could ever find joy. Right? That's what Joshua was saying. He, he was trying to find all these places for joy. Because God... And joy, they, they sound like a contradiction. I want you to write that in your notes if you have notes tonight. God and joy are not a contradiction. You will find your greatest joy in God. Joy and God are not a contradiction. You will find your greatest joy in God. That's the lie of the world. The lie of the world says, Jesus or joy, teen? Take your pick. You want to be happy? Content? Or do you want God? Your choice. That, that's the lie of the world. That's the lie of your heart. If in your heart, when you think about being a teenager, and there's just this desire, if you were honest, I can't wait to graduate. I can't wait to not be in this church anymore. I can't wait to not be with my parents anymore. I can't wait to get out into the world. You're believing the the lie of the devil. You're believing a lie that joy is way out there when it's right here. 
The temptation to believe that relationship with God means the end of joy in this life has caused havoc in church kids for generations. Countless teens that believe you have two options regarding joy. On one hand, pursue the world and get joy in this life and go to hell. Or, pursue God and be joyless but get heaven. Does that make sense, teens? The temptation of, I can be happy and joyful in the world but get hell, or I can have God and be joyless but get heaven. That's the lie that causes teens to play the game of putting one foot in the world and one foot in the church. That they want joy in this life and they want joy in the life to come. And so they play the game of simultaneously pursuing the world and God. I don't want to go to hell so I should act like I love Jesus, but I really want joy and so I need to move towards the world. And so that's that's the game of kind of sitting on the fence. It's it's short-term and long-term joy simultaneously. Teen, my prayer for you is that you would see that the scheme of Satan in the garden is the same scheme he's running today. It's not like he switched it up as the years have gone on. He's still saying God doesn't want you to be joyful, doesn't want your contentment, doesn't want you, as it says in Psalm 16, pleasures forevermore. Satan continues to lie to you and say, God wants to withhold your joy, so you go better go find it on the internet. You go better go find it in relationships. You better go find it in stuff. You better go find it in video games or technology or whatever else, because you're not going to find it in God. It's a lie. Point number three, joy can ultimately only be found in Jesus. Point number three, last point, joy can ultimately only be found in Jesus. Flip with me, last Passage, before, and then we'll go back to the psalm passages for a moment. But John 3. Go flip to John 3 with me, please. John 3.16, probably the most known Bible verse in the world. But sadly, we stop after 16 and we don't look at 17. And 17 is glorious. So John 3.16, but then John 3.17. So 16, we all know it. I pray we all know it. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, think about the, the false paradigm we've kind of created here. You can have joy or you can have God. You could read verse 16 and say, yeah, okay, you know, God loved me, gave His only Son, Whoever believes in him won't die, have eternal life. Okay, you know that. You can get God and get eternal life. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God wants to give you life. Christ has come that you might be saved through Him. Not saved just when Christ returns, though yes, we'll be saved when Christ returns, but a sense of God giving you life now and giving it to you abundantly. Christ didn't come to take away your joy. Christ came to restore your joy. God came to save us from our sins and restore us. 
if you think the Christian life is nothing but rules and duty and keeping you in line and away from joy, you don't understand Christ. Teen, if you think that there's this choice of joy in the world or, or eternal life in Jesus, but, but no joy in Jesus, you do not understand the Christ of the Bible. You, you don't understand the Gospel. Because Jesus Himself has come to give life. He's come to give joy. Look at Psalm 5 with me one more time. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That's just, that's a foreshadowing of the gospel, teens. You need to take refuge in Christ. You are by yourself alone and in need of help. You're, the, the wrath of God remains. But if you go to Christ, if you go to Him for refuge, you can rejoice because you're now forgiven of all your sins. You become a, a son or daughter of God. You can ever sing for joy. I'm, I'm not saying tonight that in being a Christian that there's no trials. There are. I'm not saying there isn't any suffering. There is. Many I mean, just read the Psalms. You see a a variety of emotions. You see heartache. You see sadness. You see questions. And yet, for the one who is in Christ, the one whose all their sins are forgiven, the one who has been reconciled and redeemed, they're no longer rebels. Let them ever sing for joy. And in Psalm 16.11, we already read it, but just that. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence. I love how Josh was saying, and and, and Jason was was highlighting it as well, we must be before we do. You must be, teen, before you do. It's not about you doing first. It's about you being in Christ. What this passage is not saying is, you know, if you're perfect and you do everything perfect and, and, and you follow all the rules, no, it says, are you in Christ's presence? Have you just held out your hands and say, God, I I have no hope but you. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's a lie out there that says familiarity will bring lack of amazement. The more I spend time with something, the less I will be amazed by it. The one I've always used is like technology, right? My kids got the Wii years ago. When we first brought the Wii home, it was just... What a moment, what a day, we've got the Wii, and then as the years went on, eh, the Wii. Right? They like stopped making games for it. It was like impossible to find, you know, like them making the new games. And so then we got the PlayStation 3, and it was like, oh the PlayStation 3, oh, this is the greatest day of our lives again, and we're playing the different games. And I've heard I've heard Anderson, boy, wouldn't it be nice if we got the PlayStation 4 and uh, Xbox was what is it we Xbox six thousand now? I forget what we're up to with Xbox, you know, but but there's kind of like this subtle, eh, the PlayStation 3 is good, but you know, PlayStation 4, if that was under the tree, that'd be even better. There's a just a uh, we're familiar and so we grow cold. You know what I haven't grown for, grown in in being unamazed by Kelly, right? I have been married to Kelly for almost 15 years. Been around her for 17 years. I am way more familiar with her now than I was 17 years ago, and yet far more amazed. But that's nothing, nothing compared to God. 
you just think about just Joshua as he's sharing the fact that God saved him and then that moment when God drew him out, that happened years ago and yet on his heart that sense of, I can't believe that God would have done that. Joshua has not gotten less amazed over the years that God would draw him out of the darkness. And your parents and the 20-somethings here that are serving you would agree. The, the longer time goes, the more amazed I am that God would save me. The more I'm amazed by His love. The more amazed I am by His Word. That, that this is God's Word that, he's, that he, he speaks, that in prayer I get to talk to Him. And so I don't, I want, I want to give you that vision to encourage your hearts that as you pursue Christ by His grace, yes, you'll grow more familiar with Him, but I believe by God's grace more amazed. As you press into Him. If you're not amazed in this season, if you would say, Ben, that's not, that's not been my reality, could I, could I encourage you, just ask the question, are you talking about God or are you in relationship with God? Are you around people who are in relationship with God or are you in relationship with God? Because Psalm 16 says that there are pleasures forevermore at His right hand. There was a season when I was around Christians, but I wasn't a Christian. Seasons where I was around people who were abiding, but I wasn't abiding myself. Are you drawing near to Christ? Are you allowing His Word to pour over you? Are you reminding yourself of the Gospel day by day? And and I'll close with this, and then Josh Stever is going to come up and kind of lead us into our time of uh, with our parents. Everything... God does in His relationship towards us is good. Even when it doesn't feel good. And so we have to fix our eyes on Christ and believe His heart. Spurgeon says to believe His heart when we can't see His hand. When me and Mrs. Ross got married, our honeymoon was uh, uh, like a five or six day cruise. So Grand came in and Cosmel and ended in New Orleans. And to get from the airport to the um, cruise, there were all these signs. Go left, go right, don't go this way, go this way, check in, sign in. Like It just felt like 40 minutes of trying to get to a place to get on this boat. When I saw the signs, you know what I didn't do? Oh, the rules around here. Oh, the the drudgery and duty of trying to follow all these signs. Oh, another sign saying the cruise is this way. Oh, gosh, i got to walk this way to get on a, on a cruise where I'll go to these amazing islands. Right? I'm like, we're going on a cruise. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't wait. I had never been on vacation like that before. Give me another sign. Tell me which way to go. My point is that when we look at God's word and we see go this way, not that way, in our I think in our flesh there are rules. God wants me to do this. God wants me to do that. If you don't believe that God's for your joy, you're going to see rules and guardrails as Him withholding your joy. Him stopping you from what, what He, what you really want to do instead of believing like those signs that they're ultimately for your joy. Don't go that way. Go this way. If you believe Christ is for your joy, if He came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly, every sign 
is an opportunity to trust Him. Every sign, every verse is an opportunity to say, God, I trust You. I want more of You. I don't want this world. I don't want it. I don't want what it is selling. And all those other things in our life can be glorifying to God. Friendship for the glory of God. It's not wrong to find joy in friendship. It's not wrong to find joy in sports. It's not wrong to find joy in playing music or any, you know, these other things. They just can't be our fundamental joy. They can't be our primary joy. The, the problem happens not when we enjoy these things, but we enjoy them more than God. I, I, I want to enjoy my friendships and say, oh God, thank you for these friends. When I, when I play basketball or when I run, I want to thank God for the ability to do these things. When you play music, may it be connected to your joy in God. You can't connect, you can't disconnect anything from your joy in Jesus. Josh, if you come on up and uh, kind of give us our marching orders and then uh, we can we can split up. When Ben first told me he wanted me to get up here and speak after he talked about joy, I just, I just got to say that I'm a huge Piper fanatic, so if any of you know Piper, it's like his his thing to talk about. And as Ben was talking here at the end about his vision of, of when he was walking on, a, on a, towards his honeymoon there and the road signs and those being evidence of graces pointing towards what is joy, pointing to God who is our joy, um, just gave, reminds me of this definition I heard of grace once. It's just aspect of what grace is from God. And, and grace is God giving us joy in Him over the joy that we would find in sin. It is turning us to the joy that we have in Him. You know, God didn't create us because He needed to, but to share His joy. He created us to share His joy. He sent Christ so we could have His joy. What is the joy of God? Is God. And, and so, He gives us Himself and he points everything to himself so that our joy can be in that. And, um, I think just some questions as, as we go forward here. Um, he mentioned that sin is going to tell you the opposite of that. Um, I was amazed and, and reminded afresh of how God's worked in my life by hearing Josh earlier say that when he got to share, when he got to release, when he opened up about the trapment of sin he was in, he was free. And there was joy in that moment. There's joy in turning to God, back to God. And so, are you believing that lie? You know, as you go forward tonight, you look at your, your life, um, things you find joy in, whether it's sports or video games, or, or maybe there's a sin that's besetting you that, that gives you pleasure, and yet you know it's wrong, and the pleasure is just egging you on to continue in that. Are you are you believing that lie that if you continue in that, you'll find your joy, and that if you turn from it, you'll lose that joy? Because I can tell you now, the joy in God is greater than that. So are you believing that lie? And then there might be some of you tonight who, who hear that, um, to hear us talking about joy and 
And you want that. You want to step into that. You hear, you're Josh sharing that he was freed and, and that joy there. And you are saying, I'm missing that joy. I am, I'm missing that joy in my life. And I just want to invite you to turn, turn to Christ, turn to God. He's the one who can save you, can bring you into that joy. When, when we stand before God at the end, are we going to be there full of joy? trembling, fearful, amazed, shocked, but full of joy? Or are we going to be terrified because we know that we sought joy in other things throughout our life? And so I just, I, I guess, evaluate yourselves. I think the second question, don't, you don't have to answer it tonight. I think you know the answers in your hearts. You don't have to come out and tell us tonight or wrestle over that. When you stand before God in the last day, Will you be full of joy because of what he's done for you? So so just two questions going forward. Um, are you believing the lie that sin's joy is going to be greater than God's joy? And and where do you stand with that? So I'm going to pray first real quick and then we'll break up. Dear God, I just thank you that you know what's best for us. And not that you just know what's best for us, God, but you craft us in such a way that our our fulfillment, the greatest joys, the greatest pleasures, the greatest triumphs that we have in this life can only be found in you. And that you, though we are fallen, Lord, you do everything. You do everything working to turn us back to you because of your love for us even sending your Son to die on the cross so that we may enter into the joy with you for eternity to come. I just praise you, God. I pray that if anyone here who who is lacking in the joy, who is not finding that joy, that you would reach to them, that this would just be a safe place tonight, that they would be able to turn to you, they would be able to, to in this moment, be free of the lie that is sin. And what it promises them is they would turn to you and to their brothers and sisters here and they would be able to see them as loving and they would just pour out their hearts to you, God. And if not here tonight, I pray they would do it to their parents or to a friend, that you would reach their hearts so that ten, five, a week, a week from now, three years from now, Lord, that when, whenever it is, when you return, God, that we would be able to stand together in joy of you and that that would just just overflow. And then from tonight, Lord, that would just overflow to our friends, to our family, to, to this neighborhood, that we would just be people who are wrapped up in your joy, God. And um, just please be with us in that, God. Amen. Amen. Excellent. So two questions. Where, do you, where can you believe the lie? Um, and would that final day be a day of joy for you? So if you have a parent here, break up with them. If you don't have a parent here, someone that brought you, um, so let's split up. Let's just take about 10 minutes and then pray for one another uh, at the end of that time.